Amen. In 2004, Guardian Magazine in their United States edition released an article with the ominous title of, quote, Now the Pentagon tells Bush climate change will destroy us. Buried, uh, and you can see the link to the article there, buried underneath that attention-getting headline were the very dire warnings about the coming problem of climate change and global warming. And there was that sentence that's highlighted you may not be able to read, but it says, quote, uh, major European cities will be, will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Nuclear conflict, mega droughts, famine, and widespread rioting will erupt across the world. Close. I mean, it's 2019 and they're doing all right in Britain, so good for them. You read an article like that, and probably depending on your politics, you might think, man, that's a bunch of liberal hacks. They're always trying to take our money through this climate change, and it's a bunch of garbage. Or you might look at that and think, man, I need to go buy a Prius. I don't know, but whether you look at that as a lapse in judgment, or whether you look at that as just kind of, you know, political activism, I think that it points to one almost universal truth about human beings. And that is that human beings are afraid of the future. The future is unknown to us. The future is uncontrollable. And we're afraid that there's going to be some threat in our families or in our lives or in the climate or in politics or in war, whatever. Something is going to come down the line that is going to destroy life as we know it. I mean, y'all remember Y2K, right? Some of y'all were hoarding toilet paper and beans in your basement. Right beside your AK-47 shells because you did not know what was going to happen. When you had to fight for your survival against, you know, your closest friends and neighbors. And that same exact thing happened when the calendar flipped from 999 A.D. to 1000 A.D. in the Middle Ages. People filed into churches, convinced that Jesus was going to come back and destroy everybody. We're just afraid of what tomorrow might bring, aren't we? We're afraid of the future. The future is scary. So does the future of the church ever scare you? It does me. Now, I know that theologically, Jesus has promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know that the Bible says that ultimately the, the future of the church is that we will be presented uh, spotless as a bride for her husband. The future is good for God's people. I know that. But at the day-to-day grind of life in the church, uh, the truth is sometimes I worry about the future of the church. In fact, in 11 years of pastoring... There has probably not been a day of my life, maybe not even an hour of my life, where worry and fear may not be the right word, but where I haven't been concerned or thinking about the future of some church somewhere. I don't know if fear is the right word or not, but I've been concerned before, and probably afraid, that leading as a pastor, leading necessary, healthy, and even biblical changes will be met with pushback and frustration from people that I love dearly. I've been afraid that the kind of cultural apathy that's around us in the world today will start to drift into the church and put us in this vicious cycle of coming to church and expecting a whole lot without giving very much. I'm afraid that churches are going to lose a generation. Uh, I'm afraid that some of us have just got more cultural Christianity than we do Jesus. I'm afraid some people just don't care. That no matter how many times I hear a pastor say something like that, they just do not care. And some of y'all, honestly, you think about the future of the church and you are afraid too. You're afraid that changes in the church may leave you behind or leave you out altogether. You're afraid 
that maybe your kids or your grandkids are going to graduate from Sharon Heights when they graduate from high school. Maybe you're afraid that history is destined to repeat itself and you set yourself up for disappointment as soon as you set yourself up for excitement. So you're afraid to invest and you just hold back because you're afraid of the future. Well, I get you if you're afraid of the future. And I want us to spend some time tonight primarily thinking about and praying about the future of our church. But I want to do that in the context of a book in Scripture where a man who loved the church very much wrote to a young leader in the church about the future of that church. And that's in the book of Titus. And I want us to look tonight in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1. Paul writes to Titus and says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The book of Titus, along with 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, is one of three pastoral epistles in your New Testament. What that means is that they were written to pastors uh, from the Apostle Paul, who has a heart for pastors and for the church, and they're written about the kind of subjects that pastors spend their time thinking about. And you read in the pastoral epistles everything from how should a church think about giving away money to benevolence-related causes, even down to how do pastors manage their own personal insecurity. As pastoral epistles from the Apostle Paul, these books lay out for us really a blueprint for what life in a healthy biblical church should be. And you can see that in Titus chapter 1, verse number 5. Paul's intention in writing to Titus is to set the church in order. A church that's organized the way God wants. What does that look like? What does a church look like when it is designed to function the way God designed it to function? What does a church look like when it's built upon the foundation of the Word of God? And nothing more, nothing less. Well, that's what the book of Titus actually teaches us. And we're going to spend some time on Sunday nights going verse by verse through what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the church, about our church, about its past, its leadership, the way God would have us disciple people, all of those kind of things. But what amazes me about the vision that the Apostle Paul lays out for the church, and even the concept of having a biblical vision for the church, is how foreign that idea is. Now, what I mean is that everybody here tonight has a vision for the church. We all think we know what's best for the future of this church, and we all think we know what's best for the future of the big church. And we think we understand what's best. But the truth is, a healthy church is built upon what the Bible says a church should be. Now, that's not very complicated, and it's not very deep. But a lot of times it gets lost in the shuffle of the life of the church, doesn't it? 
And we start to try and pile on all of our traditions and pile on all of our expectations and pile on what's working at the big monster mega church, you know, down the road. And we think this is what the church should be. Well, Paul says, no, here's what the church should be according to the word of God. So tonight, it's really on my heart to ask you, what would happen to Sharon Heights if we said we are going to be a church the way God says a church should be a church? And that's what I want us to pray to towards uh, the end of our service and as we go through this book over the next few months. In a few weeks, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the nation's largest non-Catholic denomination, the denomination that our church is a part of, is going to meet for their annual meeting here in Birmingham. And there are going to be thousands of Southern Baptists from all over the country and all over the world that are going to be in town for that meeting. You're going to have pastors, deacons, you're going to have women's ministry leaders, you are going to have seminary professors, you are going to have lay people, you're going to have every person you can imagine from all along the kaleidoscope that is the Southern Baptist Convention. And every one of those people is going to have a different vision for what the church should be. I promise you that the younger pastors that will be there, they have a different vision than the older pastors. There are going to be celebrity leaders that are there that are going to be trying to market their products and ideas to say, this is what the future of the church should be. There's even going to be politics that takes place for the future of the church. And there are going to be people that will be back home in Southern Baptist churches sitting in those pews thinking to themselves, if my pastor brings that vision back here, then he's going to be unemployed in a month. Some churches govern themselves by the expectations of the past just because it's comfortable and it's what they know. And like I said, other churches want to be governed by what seems to be working down the road. Well, who cares? Who cares? What does the Bible actually say a church should look like? What does the Bible actually say a church should be? It's right here in Titus. It's three three pages, three chapters, one and a half pages in my Bible. This is what a church should look like. Now, that's not complicated, is it? I mean, good gracious, our church bylaws and procedures are like 52 pages or something. And Paul said, yeah, I can hammer that out in, you know, three chapters. And what is the point of a church? Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse number 10, he says it writing to the slaves in the church. He says the purpose is that you would be so uh, immersed in the message of the gospel that you would be able to adorn the doctrine of God your Savior in all things. The purpose of the church is that you and I would learn what the gospel is to the point that we would wear it around with us everywhere we go. That when we come into church and we sing, Our God Saves, we actually put that on as our church clothes and we wear it around everywhere we go. So do you remember when you were little and your parents used to make you dress in your church clothes? And some of y'all probably grew up in a time like your church clothes really were the best that you had. And the only time you wore them was when you went to church. And I don't know what it is about church clothes, but man, they're itchy, ain't they? It's like, man, I had, I had coats made out of fiberglass when I was a kid. And you'd get dressed up for church, and you'd have some time to kill, and your mom would say, now don't you go out and play in the mud, don't you get dirty, I'm going to wear you out. You ever hear that? Well, that's not what Paul's talking about when he talks about our church clothes. He's talking about wearing around the gospel everywhere that we go. And the vision that he lays out in Titus is unique, it's refreshing, it's distinct from a lot of what you see in the world. And Paul simply says, Here's it. here it is, here are your church clothes. This place is a community of people that come together to make the gospel visible. That's what the church is. And we're going to study what that looks like. But tonight, what I want us to do is I want to just use some, some highlights in the book of Titus to think about how we can pray for our church. And we're going to do that tonight, and I hope you do in the future. First, I want to tell you, as we pray for our church, we need to pray for faithful leaders. Pray for faithful leaders. As we're going to get to know the book of Titus, you're going to see particularly in Titus chapter 1, that like a lot of churches Paul writes to, the church in Crete is not necessarily in the best of shape. 
on the one hand, there are threats internally as there are false teachers in the church that are distorting the gospel. They're leading people away into legalism. And they're also leading people away into a very licentious, self-indulgent lifestyle. And this church is in the middle of a self-indulgent culture. Everything around this church is saying, live for your most base appetites. I think about the church in Crete and I think about our churches today and that has not changed, has it? There's a lot of bad teaching happening in church and there's a whole lot of bad teaching that trickles into the church from outside the church that says live for yourself. So with that in mind, what's the first thing that Titus needs to do? As Paul writes to him, what is the first thing that should be on the top of his to-do list? Paul says, I left you in Crete, verse 5 of chapter 1, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He said, Paul, top of the list is that you identify, appoint, install, and train good leaders in the church. Now, in a few weeks, Lord willing, we'll talk about who those elders are, what their character is, all of the things Paul mentions here in this text. But for us tonight as a church, we need to keep in the back of our minds, and maybe even the front of our minds, we need to keep it in the front of our prayer list for sure, that we are at this season looking for some people to fill some important leadership positions. One of them has uh, relates to our music ministries, and the other relates to our children's ministry. And we need to be praying that God sends us the people that we that we need and that He wants. We need to be praying, Lord, send us the people that we need at Sharon Heights. Sharon Heights, you know better than most churches that churches rise and fall with their leadership. And we should be praying that God sends good leaders to our church. So tonight what I'm going to do is we pray at the end of our service. As you pray in the future, I'm going to challenge you to do one of the most difficult things that we can do in the life of the church and in our prayers, and that is to lay aside your expectations. And say, Lord, give us the person we need. Lay aside your timetable, which for me, that's a whole lot harder. Say, Lord, give us the person we need when we need it. Lord, help me to lay down my preferences. Lord, here's what I want you to pray. Lord, send us. Send us the people that you want here. Because the people that you won't hear, the leaders you won't hear, are the people we need here. We need to pray that God would make them clear to us. We need to pray that we would unite behind them. We need to pray that when they get here, we would support them with everything that we have. And for the record, you need to do that with the leaders that are here already. Amen. Pray for, pray for faithful leaders. Second, in chapter 2, you need to pray for future generations. Pray for future generations. Paul says in chapter 1, appoint these leaders. Titus, you're one of those leaders. Preach the word as you'd expect him to say. Verse number 1 of chapter 2, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus, preach the word, preach the gospel, instill people the truth of Christianity. And then in verse 2, he hops right in to the rhythms of church life. And he says, in the life of a good church, older men are discipling younger men. And he says, in the life of a healthy church, older women, and I know we don't have any old women at our church, but older women are discipling younger women. And they're helping them, arm in arm, helping them to navigate the challenges of the journey, helping them to navigate, particularly the, the younger women, helping them to navigate the challenges of, you know, living with a man. And I love, I love Paul's advice to the older women about the younger women here. And here's why. Paul was not married. Paul probably did not have any children. We don't know if Titus was married or not, but Titus is a young pastor. He's probably so wrapped up in his work at the church. The last thing that's on his mind are the young women. And Paul says, look, dude, in all of the ministry you're doing, don't forget the ministry that's right in front of you. And Titus, I'm willing to bet that there are some young moms in your church that might be kind of stressed out. There are some young moms in your church that probably need some help. 
And he sees the church as the community where those stressed out young moms get the help that they need. So honestly, and I'm not talking about our church necessarily, but just in general, when did church stop working that way? When did we become like so segregated and in our little ministry silos that uh, the senior citizens have no idea what the needs of a high school junior are? When did we become like so isolated in our, you know, kind of ministry demographic areas that the teenagers in the youth group have no idea of the struggles of a senior citizen who has to choose this month, do I pay for my medicine or do I pay for my groceries? Like, how, do we, how did that happen to us? I don't know the answer to how it happened, but I know... That it shouldn't happen. It's not what Paul lays out in the book of Titus. He lays out a vision of a church where people of all different ages, of all different experiences, from all different kind of backgrounds, really are united around the truth of the gospel. He sees a church where people actually are sharing life together because they share the life of Jesus together. We need to be praying for that kind of church here. But I want to go ahead and warn you. This, what Paul is talking about here, this does not work if you want to be fake. Okay? Why? Because Paul specifically says that these older women need to be discipling younger women so that they do what? So that they love their husbands and children. So that a healthy church, okay, is an environment where a stressed out young mom and wife can come to an older lady in the church and say, I hate my husband and my kids right now, they're not much better. And she can get the help that she needs and she knows everybody in the church isn't going to know about it as soon as she leaves. Right? She knows that she's able to be real and to be honest. If our church is not a safe place for that to happen, then it is not a healthy church. And it is not a biblical church. God cares about future generations. Let me say that again. God cares about future generations. And God cares about them having this kind of church, not our kind of church. Let me tell you something now. It's going to be hard for you to hear, but you need to hear it. Last Sunday night, NDT... Uh, some of you were in that class, but one of the mothers in our church shared the struggle that she's going through with um, her mostly grown child. And I asked her this week, I said, can I share that with our church? And she said, sure, but that, that child grew up here at Sharon Heights. And, but now that, that individual is, is inching away from the Bible altogether. As they explore the offerings of the world, and as they explore... Life without God in it. And church, a large part of that is because that individual saw leaders here who made Christianity a game to be played on Sunday. And I heard that lady share that from a broken heart and just thinking this week of the confusion in that child's soul. That has ripped my guts out. And I wish I could just tell you tonight, hey, that's just that's just a one-time thing. That's just a freak incident. But I've had others of you come to me and tell me about your kids. Tell me about your grandkids. So understand, as hard as it is to face, Sharon Heights Baptist Church may have lost a generation. I know that's hard to swallow. And I know we want to say, hey, that's not our fault. And I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that it's where we are. And if we're going to be the kind of church that Paul outlines in Titus chapter 2, then we have got to be a, the kind of church that cares about those people. That we care about those people in their 20s who are confused and mixed up and do not understand. 
We've got to be present with them. We've got to be active in their lives. We've got to be praying for them. We've got to say we are going to be a church for those people who have been burnt out, who have been skipped over, who are confused about what Christianity really is. And I'm just going to tell you tonight, church, here's the reality. One day I'm going to be dead. And I'm going to meet Jesus who died on a cross for my sins and who rose again. And I am not going to stand before Jesus and explain to him why I neglected to minister to a generation. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, we just played games at church and we lost that generation that was coming up behind us. We need to be clear about who we are and what God wants for us as a church. Even for people around us who have never heard of Sharon Heights. I mean, there are people that live probably three minutes from here, don't even realize there's a church here. No more than they realize there's a DG here. You know, they just don't pay attention while they're going around. But we need to be clear to those people about what God has put us here to do. We need to pray for future generations. But I think also we need to understand from Titus that we need to pray for a focus on the gospel. The book of Titus is a book really about how to run a church. I mean, this isn't really always exciting topics of Scripture to look at. But really, it's a book about the gospel. Look at what Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Titus 2, verse number 9. We read it a minute ago. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify Himself, a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, Paul gives that great statement in verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And what Paul is saying in every chapter of this book is that if we get the gospel right, everything downstream from that message will be right. And that if we believe right about who Jesus is and what He's done, then it is going to change the way that we live. So let me just be honest with you for a minute, alright? Y'all ready? If all you want at Sharon Heights Baptist Church in the future are the traditions of the past or the trends... And other churches that seem to work so well. Then you're probably not going to be real happy here at Sharon Heights. But if you want to see a church. That is striving to be centered on Jesus. And nothing more and nothing less. Then there might just be a place for you here. Because that's what Paul's writing about here in the book of Titus. He's saying, Titus, you are to be people who are responding to the message of Jesus and everything about you. And you're showing that life and sharing that life for the world. But what's happened to us in the church culture of the South is we have made the church about everything else but Jesus. I mean, we preach at everything else and doing everything else and talking about everything else. I don't know how to say it any more clearly than to say God has put us as a church here to make the gospel visible. And I believe He has put me here as your pastor so that I would do the hard work of showing you how that looks in the Word of God. 
It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, in some ways, what I'm doing here. Just to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. Because I'm 400 miles away from pretty much everybody I know. Three years ago, I came and preached revival here at Sharon Heights. Three years this August. And I'm just going to tell you, y'all ruined me. I mean, just to be real with you, y'all ruined me. I've never been around a church where people worshipped as freely. Never been around a church where people gave as generously. and never been around a church that has uh, just all the blessings that exist here at Sharon Heights. And y'all just, y'all wrecked me. Wrecked me. And it was a year ago this afternoon that I sat with your search committee that represented you and talked to them about what at that time we were praying about was my future here as a pastor of Sharon Heights Baptist Church. And we talked about a lot of things, um, all the typical things that you may expect. And one of the members of the search committee said, I just want to know if you got any tattoos. And I said, well, no, but I can I can get one. Like, if that's what it's going to take to land a job, you know what I mean? And we talked, we talked about a lot of things. Um, but the one conversation that stood out to me is one of the ladies on that committee, I just asked about the future of the church. One of the ladies on that committee looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Basically, what I want for our church is for me to be able to invite my family and invite my friends and the people in our community. And for them not to think about all the stuff in the past, but to know that we're a church that is about Jesus. And that answer is a big part of the reason I'm here. Because I believe that's what God did in my heart to put me here. And so I know that churches around us, man, a lot of them are just playing games. I'm going to tell you, I didn't come here to play games. All right? I didn't come here to play games. I came here to preach Christ and to make much of Him. And to help you orient every part of your life, God willing, around who Jesus is. The church is the gospel made visible. And I, I didn't come here, to, you know, just to play dress up and to play Sunday church clothes. And to have this kind of Christianity that looks real good in front of other church people on Sunday. Three years ago, when I preached revival here at Sharon Heights, I preached those services on... Um, on the prodigal son, all three nights. And I know y'all really remember that. It stuck with you, I'm sure. Um, and that terrified me about that terrified me about coming here to be your pastor because those are like the three best sermons I've ever preached. It's like, well, now what am I going to do? Uh, they're going to see through. They're going to see through this really quick. Y'all didn't have to laugh. You could have said no, brother Jesse, no. But I, I told you then in those sermons, never imagining that I would be here tonight as your pastor. I told you then based on the story of the prodigal son, that what a lot of churches have done is they have organized every single thing that they do just to keep those older brothers quiet. Instead of getting in on the joy of God in saving the lost. And I believed that three years ago. Church, I'm going to tell you, I still believe it tonight as your pastor. But we're going to be about the joy of God in saving the lost. Why? Because it brings joy to my heart that God took joy in saving me. And there's a lot of people out in this world tonight that are lost in the worst kind of situations imaginable. And God's heart is beating with joy to save those folks. And that's what we're about. That's what God wants us to be about. He wants us to be about the gospel. You say, preacher, I believe the gospel and God saved me. I need some practical tips for life. No, you don't. You need Jesus. 
They know my marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You need the gospel. Say, oh, no, preacher, you just don't understand the worry that I have. Look, if the gospel don't address your worry, nothing's going to because it tells you everything you need to know about your future. Say, no, preacher, I got, I got this stress and I got this issue. No, what you, what we need is the gospel. The gospel is not just the diving board into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the swimming pool. It's everything to us. It's the beginning and the end, the middle. And it may sound really, really dumb, but you ought to be used to that in my preaching now. This may sound really dumb and it may sound really simple, but look, if you move away from the gospel, you're moving away from Jesus. We are here for Him. We are here because of Him. We're here for nothing more. We're here for nothing less. And what would it do for God to instill in our hearts tonight, in this church family, to say, no, our past is not perfect. But by God's grace, we want to be a people who are showing that our God is faithful and that our God redeems. And by the way, just as God turned our story around, He can turn your story around too. What would it do if, if for us if we said we are not playing games, we're not playing church, but we are broken sinners who need the grace of the Lord Jesus, who have experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus, who are going to sing about the grace of the Lord Jesus and preach the grace of the Lord Jesus and raise our hands and worship the God of grace. What if the gospel defined the, defined the borders of what we could do? What if the gospel defined for us the limitless love of God and it showed us our mission field? What if the gospel said everything that needed to be said about our past and everything that needed to be said about our future? That's what Paul's writing about in Titus. He said, you are the gospel come to life in a world that needs the life of the gospel. Paul said, that's what a biblical church can be. And that's what God wants to do in your church. And I'm just going to tell y'all before we come pray, I believe if we really embrace that at Sharon Heights, it would scare us to death what God would do here. I'm telling you that. I believe it would terrify us. If we could see it the way God sees it, we might have to stop and we have to say, Lord, I don't know if we're ready for that or not. I'm talking about thousands of people having their life changed by Jesus. I mean, look, the reality is that there are 1.3 million people that live within a 15-minute drive of where you're sitting tonight. Thousands of people being changed through our ministries, that doesn't make a dent in that. Can God do that? You better believe He can. You better believe He can. Planting churches in communities around us. Training leaders and sending them out to plant churches in other cities. They did it in the book of Acts. Wouldn't God want to do that here? Could you imagine people from Sharon Heights serving in long-term missions? Other parts of the world? People on every continent, maybe not Antarctica as much, but every other continent serving for Jesus, giving their lives, even if it's just a week at a time? Could you imagine people growing up in church at Sharon Heights who don't graduate from church when they graduate from high school? But who say that community is the community of people who love me more than anybody else has ever loved me. And more importantly, they told me about somebody who loves me more than anybody else has loved me, and his name is Jesus. Could you imagine God doing that here? If we really focused on the gospel, folks, I'm going to tell you all, I am a hopeless wreck of a sinner. The only thing that I've got is Jesus. That's it. The only thing I've got to preach is Jesus. The only thing I know to tell you about is Jesus. The only way I know how to lead a church is to say we're about Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And as Sister Angie saying just a moment ago, Jesus is enough. That's what Paul's saying to Titus. 
He says, look, man, Jesus is enough for those people. For those moms who really are thinking, how can I kill my husband and get away with it? Jesus is enough for them. For those younger men that really do need some self-control, you notice Paul gives like one command for the young guys in the church. It's like, just be self-controlled. That'll pretty much cover all your, your mess. It all falls under this thing and y'all ain't got no self-control. Paul says Jesus is enough for those guys. For those older ladies that wonder, what's my place now that my kids are grown? Paul said, open your eyes and look into the community of faith around you. You've got a church full of kids that need your help. To those older men who just, you know, want to retire and fish and play golf, Paul said, look, you've got greater responsibilities. And it's those younger men who are coming up behind you who do need some self-control, who really are a mess. Paul said, that's the way a church works. It is the gospel made visible. So tonight, I want you just to come gather around the altar. I want you to pray specifically for... God, to send faithful leaders here in those areas that we're searching now. I want you to pray for future generations that we would be serious about reaching those people that have been unreached or skipped over or confused or hurt. And pray that God would keep us focused on the gospel and nothing else. I'm just going to invite all of you to come to the altar. And we're just going to close by having a time of corporate prayer this evening. And asking for God's grace and help in this place. And it would be good while you're here to thank God for your church. I mean, thank God for this place and these people and how God has used them in your journey. Let's pray together tonight. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this evening in Jesus' name. And Lord, we come before you tonight with grateful hearts. Lord, as we think about how the church has impacted us so much, we come to you tonight with heavy hearts as we think about the disappointments that may be behind us. But Lord, we come before you tonight also with excited hearts, knowing that the God who raised his son Jesus from the dead, Lord, he's able to give life to any situation. He's able to redeem. He's able to save. And Father, we're thankful for that truth, Lord, that came into our hearts when we were lost in sin. And we're thankful, Lord, that you saved us, not by the works we did in our righteousness, but, Lord, you regenerated us according to your mercy. God, we thank you for that, and we give you praise. And, Lord, I want to ask you tonight to help us as a church family to never move past that. Lord, never move past Jesus. And, Lord, if there are other churches that move past us, let them move on. Father, if there are other churches that, that stay somewhere else, let them stay there. If there are people that won't come uh, that because we're about Jesus... Father, that's okay. We want to be about Him because He is all we've got. So, Lord, help us to lay aside, even tonight as we pray, any preference or any expectation, any hurt of the past, any sin in our own hearts. And, Lord, I pray that You would work in us to make us a people who are just about Jesus, who are serious about having a biblical vision for the church. And, God, I believe that You'll use that church to do great things. Lord, we want to ask for that tonight by faith, not because we deserve any glory, not because we are anything, but because Jesus is everything. And Lord, I pray you would help us to make him visible with our lives, with our singing, with our preaching, and everything that we do. But Lord, we know from the book of Titus that one of the most important components of that is faithful leaders. God, I'm thankful for those that you have placed here over the years who have been faithful. Whether that's on the pastoral staff, whether that was in pulpit ministry, whether it's in Sunday school class, whether it's the deacons. Lord, I'm thankful for those that have led well here over the years, that have shown what it means to prefer others above yourself, that have shown what it means to serve, that shown what it means to intentionally choose the last place. Lord, I'm thankful for those servants and leaders that you've had here. 
But Father, we are, as you know, at a season of life in our church where we are looking for leaders that we feel are necessary at this time. God, we believe that because we have a need, we believe that those people are out out there. Some of them may be in our congregation. Father, we want to pray that you would put us with them in the right way, at the right time. Lord, send the right people here. God, we all have our own expectations. We all have our own preferences. And Lord, we all have our own calendar. But Lord, we pray that you would do things right in your time, do things right in accordance with your will, and send the people that you want here. God, because we believe by faith that the people you want are the people that we need. Lord, you know the people that we need better than we do. You know the needs of our congregation. So God, I pray that you would work in hearts from people who may be far away from us right now. They may not have any idea that we exist. Lord, line up all the dots to put them here. And God, I pray that in the meantime, the rest of us would serve well in our respective places. To do what we can. We need to shoulder another burden. Help us to do it. Father, to serve with joy. And God, I do want to pray for future generations. Lord, I'm thankful for those that are here that have been part of this church and other churches for decades. That have been faithful to serve. That have been faithful to give. That might even be struggling right now because... They feel like their health doesn't allow them to do everything they used to do. God, I'm thankful for those saints of God that have laid a foundation for where we are tonight. God, I give you praise for how you've worked in their lives. But Lord, we also know that life being what it is, Lord, there's another generation coming right behind us. Lord, there are children running around here tonight. Lord, that they are either our brothers and sisters in the Lord or they are our mission field. God, there are people that have grown up here that maybe have just dropped out for whatever reason. Uh, Lord, there are generations around us uh, that walk up and down these roads every day, Lord, that don't have any idea about church or Jesus just because their family's never been in a place where they were exposed to the gospel. Lord, there are people around us that need Jesus. There's a generation coming up behind us that needs the Lord. Help us to be faithful. Lord, it would be easier for us, honestly, it would be easier for us to do what we do and to serve and to preach and to worship if we were here 50 years ago. But God, we're not. It's 2019 and we're here. We are here for a time as this. God, help us to believe that. And Lord, I pray especially tonight for those brokenhearted parents, for their children that have been confused, Lord, by the leadership, uh, by personal situations. Lord, even just confusion that may take place in a college classroom or a dorm. God, you know our minds can be so twisted so easily. Lord, we pray for them, though. And God, we pray that you claim those hearts, that the word of God that was planted in those people as children, God, that it would blossom and it would grow. And that you would take those people and redeem their lives just as you've redeemed ours and make them great weapons in your hand for the sake of your kingdom. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. We ask you to help us to be serious about reaching a new generation. And God, I pray that you would never let us lose focus of the gospel. It's all we've got. We are, as a church, the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are built on the gospel, and we are here to lift up the gospel. That's all you expect of us. So help us to be faithful in that, I pray. Lord, we love you tonight. God, we love you because you love us. You love us in spite of our failures. You love us in spite of our flaws. Lord, you love your church. You loved your church so much you died for her. You purchased her. You made her your own. Lord, you are making her perfect. And Lord, one day, and I pray you'd help us to see this by faith, even as we pray. Lord, one day your people are going to be together with you. And Lord, we're going to be presented before you. 
without any spot, without any wrinkle, without any blemish. And we are going to be presented as a radiant bride on her wedding day. And we are going to see our Savior who bears the wounds of a cross where He went to purchase us when we were not beautiful, when we were wretched and ugly. Yet He loved us enough to die. And He rose again to give us that same eternal life. And Lord, we know that the future of the church is at the feet of Jesus. And God, I rejoice. I rejoice that one day I'm going to meet Him. And Lord, whatever the trials of the road may be, Lord, that'll be enough. I'm going to look at Him. I'm going to see Him. And I'm going to be like Him. God, You are too good to me. Lord, I don't deserve the least of Your grace. Lord, I don't deserve to know the name of Jesus. But Lord, You are so good. Lord, I give You praise. I give You glory. Lord, I'm thankful that one day I'll be able to do that in a way that You deserve. And Lord, in the meantime, help us to stay focused on Jesus. Help us to remember who it was that took us from where we are to where we're going. And Lord, help us to take a few with us along the way. Lord, we're thankful tonight that there is joy in your heart at saving sinners. Lord, there is more joy in heaven right now over that one sinner that's repenting of their sin somewhere in this world than there are those 99 self-righteous people that think they don't need to repent. Lord God, help us to take joy in seeing people saved. Help us never to become those 99, but help us always to go after the one. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you would let us enjoy this journey. God, we ask it in Christ's name, and we ask it all for His name. And amen, and amen. Amen. Folks, as your hearts and minds are clear, you are at liberty this evening. Uh, Take time to love on one another. Tell people how much they mean to you. And hug on them and tell them you are thankful that God put them in your life. But when your hearts are clear and you're finished with that, you are at liberty. Hope you have a good evening.